0: and various studies throughout the week. Please come and join us next time you are in Oklahoma City. We would love to have you. And now, we hope you enjoyed today's message.
1: Boker tov. That's good morning in Hebrew if we forget it. We just say Broker Tov. That's how we do it in the south. Before I get started, just, Abba, Father, I ask you, Lord, that your Ruach, your spirit will just be poured out fresh and new upon me, and fresh and new upon every person here. Father, we just implore your spirit just to move powerfully amongst us. Give us ears to hear. Give me an anointing to deliver this word concisely and in a manner that can be received. B'shem Yeshua Mashiach. Amen. For those who don't know, I run a, a news agency called Worthy News. It was found on this verse, Watch You Therefore. It's about clipping people to be watchmen. To, to give you prayer points today, to pray always and then maybe you, that you may be found worthy to escape these things, including that worthy brief is a daily devotion, and I'm trying just to equip the body. The first thing that the Lord said about the last is, take heed that no man deceive you. So, we're surrounded by liars. Um, I'm not allowed to lie. <laughs> I mean, it's really a bad thing. If you read Revelation 22, you understand why you shouldn't lie, but... Um, you know, the reality is that we live in this day and age. And so when we send out a worthy brief, um, what you find now is that we actually do our, all of our own journalism. We now have journalists in Jerusalem, Budapest, Rome, and throughout the United States. We don't link to anybody anymore. Um, that used to be something we used to do, but the, the reality is I just couldn't. Anyway, just for my own conscience sake... I wanted to go ahead and provide you all the information that's happening. So there's a lot going on. Um, well, the first thing I want to kind of start out this message is giving you an understanding that we're in the middle of a test. I mean, most people don't realize that we're being tested every day. You know, if, if Yeshua was tested for 40 days, how are we not being tested now? And our faith is being tested at all times. Now, What, I, what is interesting about this passage here? It says, the Lord tests the righteous, but the soul hates the wicked, and the one who loves violence. The word violence there is Hamas. It literally is the same Hebrew word that the the, the, the terrorist organizations use in in the Gaza Strip. Hamas is the same word used in Genesis 6. God said to to Noah, I will destroy the world because it is filled with Hamas. But the great thing about the test question, the, the test that we're in, it's an open book test. If you're failing... You just need to open up the book, because the answers are already there. And and the reality is, it says, we already won. Now, there's a lot going on, obviously, in Israel, and people ask me all the time what I think. Well, the first thing I want you to understand, the first thing I, I want you to understand is that the situation happening inside of Israel, inside of Gaza, it's a spiritual war. Now, I purposely put this slide up here because Google says that Wikipedia is a reliable uh, source. It's always listed at the top of your search engine rankings. And yet this article talking about the Gaza Baptist Church is the one church, one of three churches in the state of Palestine. There is no state of Palestine. That's why you shouldn't read anything and trust anything with the Internet except for Worthy News because I do vet everything. But the idea, and and what I want to explain to you is something, is that right now, there is no opportunity for 2.2 million Gazans to receive the gospel. What people don't understand is when Hamas took over the Gaza Strip, we were actually publishing, you know, for those that don't know, we've been around since 1999. And in 2007, when Hamas took over the Gaza Strip, they literally hunted every missionary inside of Gaza. The next thing that happened was in 2007 of October, the only, the International Bible Society bookstore, the only place you could buy a Bible inside Gaza, the manager was killed. The Bible Society shut down. And right now, you can't even buy a Bible if you're inside of Gaza, meaning they don't even have an opportunity to receive the gospel. Do you think the United Nations is going to remove Hamas? So you have to understand that God, you know, just because I myself live in Israel, and I love Israel, and I love the Jewish people, does not mean I hate anyone. And God doesn't hate the Palestinians. God loves the Palestinians. God loves the Arabs. God loves, because God is for all people. And if we're disciples of the Lord, then we're for all people. And what we have to recognize is that the enemy of the Palestinians it's trying to rob, kill, and destroy them. It's literally trying to prevent them from even having access to the gospel. So we should be praying that Israel eradicates Hamas. And what I do believe is what will happen is when, we, when they rebuild Gaza, it will be rebuilt with the help of a lot of Christian NGOs. NGOs and a non-government organization. And I really do believe that we'll see a transformation take place. And we'll start seeing the amount of Gazans realizing. What we have inside of the the Arab community is a very diametric um, understanding. And it really isn't Arab. It's really indoctrination. We did two different polls. One poll was within Gaza, 80% of Gazans, 90% of Gazans support Hamas, even with everything that's happening. And same thing that's happening in the West Bank. That's the same thing. But in the same context, Israeli Arabs, and what I mean by that is most people don't realize there's about 2 million Arab citizens of Israel. You may not have realized that. But we came out with a different poll. that 80% of Arab Israelis feel closer now to the state of Israel than they've ever felt before. That they actually love the state of Israel and they actually understand what they're dealing with when dealing with Hamas. So it's not an Arab problem, it's an indoctrination problem. And so we have to really pray for that situation. Now I'm gonna continue on. So the next thing I want you to understand is this, that we have a serious problem with the way news is being disseminated from the Gaza Strip. We have news organizations that believe what Hamas says. And use that as facts for reporting what's happening in Gaza. Well, nobody really watches a a terrorist press conference. Oh, I mean, a Hamas press conference. That's actually clips from Al Jazeera. When they do a press conference, would you believe anything that they would say? And yet we go ahead and say, oh, this is reliable news. They're terrorists. I mean, it's not that hard to understand, right? So the next thing I'm going to focus on is that because the news is relying on Hamas and relying on the numbers that come out of the Gaza ship and relying on the information from terrorists, we're actually seeing now the rise of anti-Semitism. And this rise of anti-Semitism is actually driving Aliyah, Jewish people, back to the land, because we're seeing it all over Europe. And so now this is actually a, a, a prophecy. It talks about the time when God sends forth fishers to draw Israel back. You know, when you go fishing, you you catch and you pull and you you're luring them back. Unless you are in Arkansas. <laughs> Arkansas, they use dynamite, I'm just saying. But but besides that, but In in verse 16, it says, but then after, I will send forth hunters, and he'll drive them back. I really do believe this prophetic word is connected to the rise of anti-Semitism. And so the question that we're being asked today is, how will we stand with the Jewish people? You know, that at the time of Esther, there was a principality and power over a kingdom of Persia, which is the modern state of Iran that raised up a leader whose name was Haman. And Haman had a plan to eradicate and destroy the Jewish people. That same spirit is at work today in the Ayatollah Khomeini and inside of the the mullahs inside of Iran. That same spirit is at work. And, And at that time, Mordecai comes to Esther and says something very profound. He says to her, listen, if you remain completely silent, don't worry, relief and deliverance from the Jews will come from another place. Meaning God's prophetic plan for the Jewish people will happen with or without you. God doesn't need you. What he's asking you, though, is that I, and when I say I, the Lord has brought you to the kingdom for such a time as this, and he's giving you a test question. Will you stand with the Jewish people? And when we say when we stand with the Jewish people, does not mean we're against anyone. It does mean, though, that we understand what the Jewish people are dealing with. And so now Israel's finding out who its true friends are. Because it says their friend loves at all times, but what they're finding out is that that those that stand with Israel are not just friends, we're family. Because a family member is born for such a time as this. Now, I'm gonna take you back to uh, just a quick understanding of of prophecy. Look, I am not a doom and gloomer. I believe that our best days are ahead of us. I believe that prophecy is given to us not to paralyze us, not to get us an overwhelmed sense of fear, but it's actually given to activate us, to give us an understanding of what we're supposed to do, give us an urgency about the hour that we're in. It was never, ever meant to paralyze us. It was never, ever meant to give us this mindset of trying to figure out who the Antichrist is. The, The prophecy was given to us to know who Yeshua is, I mean, Revelation is about the revelation of Yeshua. And so when we get into these things, at the first century, is a very unique time. Peter has this dream and vision. It's in Joppa, which is modern-day Tel Aviv. And in his, in his dream and vision in Joppa, he has this, this eating and cleaning unclean animals. He doesn't know what this means. But Cornelius comes, and his whole household come to faith. Now, it wasn't the first time a Gentile come to faith there had been Gentiles at the time in Yeshua that came to faith. But this was the first time that Gentiles received the gift of the Holy Spirit, like they had received. And they said, Wow, there's something bigger going on. And in the in the, about 37, 38 AD, the Jerusalem Council get together. And it's the Jewish leaders at the time, and they're trying to decide what do we do with these Gentiles that believe? And so they go through this whole ordinance and this whole, uh, this clip, and a very interesting thing that's happening today is that we're on the opposite side of the paradigm. And what I mean by that is that how God works is a lot of things are cyclical. How it begins is how it ends, and a lot of times when it ends, it's the opposite of how it began. Well, the irony is today we have a lot of Gentile leaders trying to figure out what do we do with all these Jews that came to faith? Should they celebrate Christmas and Easter. I mean, that's the irony. But in the first century, as they debate this out, James or Yaakov, his Hebrew name, he stands up and he literally quotes Amos. And when he quotes Amos 8, or Amos 9 rather, says, In that day we will raise up the tabernacle of day which has fallen down, repair its and I'll raise up its ruins, rebuild it in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom, and all the Gentiles by my, who are called by my name, declares the Lord who does this. He connects this passage to the entrance of Gentiles into a harvest. Now, this is what's called a chiasm, or a chiastic piece of literature. Chiasm means telling a story and then untelling the story, and a lot of things point. And what you're trying to figure out in a chiasm is what the center point is. And what I mean by that, you'll see that, that verse four, that 14 and 15... So in 11 and 12, it talked about rebuilding the tabernacle of David. Here, it talks about rebuilding the waste cities. And if you, if you follow this, this context, it talks about them planting gardens. It talks about all these things. Well, in the first century, Yaakov actually stops in verse 12. He doesn't even quote verse 14 and 15, but it's in the same passage but if you understand that the 11 and 12 is connected to Gentiles, then 14 and 15 is connected to the Jewish people. But in the first century, the temple was already there. It wasn't destroyed until 70 AD. This was about 40, 42 years after the Jerusalem Council meeting. So this is talking about the reestablishment of the state of Israel today. The city I live in, the city of Arad. If you forget, we're between Arad and a hard place. no one laughed. A rock in a hard place, a rod in a hard place. Come on, people. Okay. Now we got it. Okay, we're awake. We need coffee, people. So, Arad was an ancient city. It was an ancient city in the old, old. It was rebuilt in 1963. Outside of Arad is our vineyard. Outside of Arad are our greenhouses. We're rebuilding Israel. So this is connected to the end of the age. This is connected to the Jewish portion, to what? The harvest. And why do I say that? Well, the chiasm is, is understanding that the point A is connected to point A, an outside understanding. What's the center point? Well, the center point is actually verse 13. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, that the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes of him who sows the seed. The mountains shall drip with sweet wine, and all the hills shall flow with it. What is this? It's prophetic poetry. It's talking about a harvest. It's talking about an abundant harvest. It's talking about something that we haven't even begun to understand, that God has placed you now for the harvest of the world. You may not understand this, but it's very simple. This us tithing math. I'm not saying only 10% gets saved, but... We all know how to tithe, so it's just your remnant math, right? So, look, in the days of, of, of Yeshua, the population of the world was right around 250 million. A tithe of that would be, okay, 25 million. We, we tithe more now. 25 million. A tithe of, of, of 40 million or 400 million. I already gave the answer, 40 million. 1880, we get to our first billion people. Our first billion people is 1880, and a tithe of that would be 100 million, but Right here in the year 2000, this actually ends, it should actually keep going, but in the, year, in the year 2000, we're about 6.25 billion. We just crossed the 8 billion mark. Everyone is so missing the understanding of why we're given prophecy, it's to give us an understanding of what we're called to do. That God has actually placed you for the harvest of the world, He's placed you in this time. Because I want you to grab hold of this. We'll actually have more people come to faith in our generation than every single generation before us combined. We're alive for the harvest of the harvests. Most people don't realize that the gospel is exploding. I mean, the gospel is exploding around the world. For example, in 1953, China, the communist Chinese took over China in 1949. By 1953, there were no Christian missionaries in China. And they said, God will be dead in China. There's over 100 million believers in China today. That's in the last 90 years that that explosion has taken place. What you have to understand is that God is at work today. So now we have to understand that we're birthed in a kingdom. And I've said this in this congregation before, but very simply... We're in the middle of a birthing process. No one likes to give birth. You know, men, we, we, despite what Google says, we will never understand this. Okay, some people are laughing and we got to get moving, people. We got to relax a little bit. But in this birthing process, one thing that prophecy teachers don't understand or don't focus on is that God gives us natural illustrations to give us spiritual insight. And there's a point in, in a birthing process where the water breaks, That water-breaking moment, water's connected to the Spirit of God. There's a water-breaking moment, and when that water breaks, it doesn't mean the contraction stopped. It means that God is getting ready to do something. In the first century, I I want you to grab hold of this. When a woman gives birth, no woman can explain to another woman what it's like to give birth. And we're we're in a kingdom. And things are happening outside of how we had a concept we only have a concept of the last days we really don't have a full understanding and i know people love to go ahead and try to say we figured it out you haven't figured out nothing yet we're birthing something you know like i'll give you an example and the bible says it would be filled with pestilences right well four years ago if you went into a bank with a mask on you were being arrested three years ago if you went into a bank without a mask or with the mask without a mask on, you were being arrested. And then a year after that, only the tower was wearing the mask. Then you ask yourself, who's robbing who? Right? But now we have a fresh understanding of a pestilence connected to COVID. But we didn't have this concept. It's a brand new revelation. You know, it, it said it would be like the days of Lot 20 years ago. 20 years ago, your your thought was LB movement. I mean, there was no thought of all this. We redefined marriage in 2014, and all of a sudden now we got the LBGT IQ plus. I got to make sure I got every letter with a plus in. Why? What's happening is we're getting a fresh revelation. Everything's now becoming more and more understandable. And now we're coming to this place that we as the body have to understand where do we fit in what God is doing? And we're birthing this kingdom. It's not happening like we thought. In the first century, I want you to think about the roller coaster ride the apostles went through. Because the apostles were told by Yeshua, I'm going to die, but after three days, I'm going to rise again from the dead. I mean, Peter was like, "Look, I, Lord, this ain't going to happen to you." And he, he literally says, "Get thee behind me, Satan." You would have thought that Peter would have said, "Oh I, I'm not going to make that mistake again." But when he's betrayed, they're shocked. even though Yeshua said the one that dips bread with me is the one that's going to go ahead and betray me." And they're, all, "Oh well, he, he, it must not be Judas, even though he dipped bread with them. When he gets betrayed, they're completely shocked. When he's on the cross, they're completely shocked. I mean they put him in burial clothes. Why did they put him in burial clothes? Raised again for three days. They put him in a tomb. They go to the tomb. The women go to the tomb. It's like it's empty. I don't know what happened. They go back and tell Peter and John they run the tomb. I wonder what happened. Maybe he did what he said was gonna do. But now when Yeshua shows up with them, what happens? It's a ghost. Just touch me. I mean, he's sitting there like, "Look, oh, you gotta touch me." And like, oh, what's this all about? It's resurrection. What I told you. And then they go ahead and they try to convince Thomas, and Thomas still doesn't believe, so he has to do it again. Well, then he's appearing and, 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 and appearing and disappearing in their lives for forty days, and then after forty days, he's in like, the Mount of Olives. I'm taking off. Wait, where are you going? I thought we were saying they have a kingdom. Well, just stay here, Peter, and do with power from one high. What's that mean? Well, you just have to wait and see. Well, what? They get filled with the Holy Spirit. They, what's going on? I don't know. I've never seen tongues of fire like this before. They preach the word. 3,000 souls come to faith. And the Holy Spirit speaks to Peter and says this. And it shall come to pass afterward, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. They, he, here's Peter, and he's preaching something, and the Holy Spirit just gives him the understanding. I think the last days are going to be just like that. That we're not really going to understand everything that's happening, but the Spirit of God will be speaking to us, just like he spoke in the first century. And though we have an understanding of what, what the Lord has told us through his word, we still don't really understand it. But I believe we will much more under, We'll have a greater understanding as we get closer and closer. But in this passage, when he quotes this, what people don't understand is that in verse 23, it says this, Be glad, O Zion!" Just go up a few verses. And rejoice in the Lord your God, for he's given you the early rain and the latter rain. The latter rain, the malkosh. Rain is water. I think this is connected to our water breaking moment. that how God it was at the beginning of the age is what's going to happen at the end of the age, except it's going to be even compounded greater. Why? Because God has ordained you to be here for the harvest of the world. And, And you're here for a particular time. You've been brought to the kingdom for such a time as this. And now you have to understand your purpose. So now I'm going to jump to the Simchat Torah war. Because, you know, as a journalist and as someone that kind of follows the news, you know, I get all kinds of reports. Israel allowed this to happen. How could they allow? Listen. And then they said, well, no, no. Hamas had plea. Pr-. Listen. God allowed it to happen. And he allowed it to happen on a specific day. And he's trying to tell us something spiritually. Simchat Torah is the day the Jewish people have finished the Torah cycle. They've read through all from Genesis to Deuteronomy. They've read through the portions of the Haftorah, the prophets. They've read through them in a systematic order. And now Simchat Torah is the celebration of reading Genesis 1 again, to start the year cycle again. It literally means new beginnings. The eighth day, the eight, number eight is connected to resurrection, connected to new beginnings. And the timing of Simchat Torah and the anniversary of the 50-year Yom Kippur War on the same day. There's no such thing as coincidences, people. There's God incidences. 50 is connected to Jubilee, connected to... God's getting ready to reveal something new to us. And I believe that we're walking into something so powerful. Most people don't realize... That since this war is broken out, there is an explosion. I do not call it a revival. A revival happens within a denomination. This is an awakening, an awakening transcends denominations. In Honduras or Nicaragua, sorry, Nicaragua, there was six hundred fifty thousand people, and tens of thousands came to faith. We had another situation that. Uh, Dreams that that Muslims all over the world are having dreams at rates they've never had before and are coming to faith. We're having stories that inside of Gaza, you had 200 Muslim men that that had dreams of Yeshua and came to faith. You have stories that are coming out of, for example, the dual earthquake in, in Turkey. There was two massive earthquakes, and there were kids buried under the rubble for over 15 days. And they were digging out these kids under the rubble. And they asked them, How did you survive with no water and no food? Because we had water and food. Well, how? There was a man in white that was coming and feeding me. And when I got scared, he talked to me. There are visions of Yeshua happening all over the world. God is at work, God's getting ready to do something. And right now we're freaked out and we're all in this, this, this paradigm of who's the Antichrist? When's the seventh-year tribulation starting? Forget that. You're here for the harvest of the world. And prophecy is given to us to activate, to get us an understanding of where we are prophetically so we can actually do what we've been called to do, to go and make disciples of all nations. So who was alive in 1967? Just curious. Okay, I'm just seeing who's older than I am, that's all. 1967, 1966, the front of Time magazine, is God dead? And right now, most people don't realize that we're, under, we're undergoing a massive transformational shift inside the United States. The year of COVID was the first year we actually had more churches close than opened. And that was the first time in the history of the United States. And most people don't realize that that trend is continuing. It's actually not, it's not changing. What's happening is God is pruning. Because every place that we're speaking at, every place we're going to, the the houses are packed. And we're seeing an explosion take place. And so what I want you to understand is that back in 1966, there was the age of free love, free peace, you know, free drugs, you know, the age of Aquarius. And they said, well, no one needs God anymore. And the irony is that those that were caught up in the free love, free drugs, the hippies, the hippies, that the church couldn't understand, and a lot of them were Jewish. And most people don't realize, during the Jesus Revolution, you had more Jewish people come to faith in those seven years than all 2,000 years before combined. You had an explosion, and you're part of a prophetic move of God. The Messianic movement is really birth, really grabbed its f- foothold out of that movement. But at that time there was really very few father figures because most of the church didn't know, what do we do with these hippies? I mean, they don't even wear shoes to church. We have a movie that comes out. What is the the the, the coincidences? How about a guidance and God released this movie, Jesus Revolution. This year, there were no father figures. And for those that think that you've just retired, no, I'm just rehiring you. Because I want you to understand that what's what's taking place is that it says in Malachi that God's going to restore the hearts of the children back to the fathers. And in 67 to 73, that, that, that Jesus revolution, I believe was not for that time. And as great as that was, that was not the reason why it happened at that time. I believe that whole generation is, was being set up for right now. And let me explain what I mean by that. God had to put those people that came there, they had to put them in a place where they were retired. They didn't have to work anymore. They didn't have any kind of thing to, to distract them anymore. They had a lot of free time on their hands. Why? So that you could be the fathers and the grandfathers that you didn't have when you came to faith. For the harvest of harvests. See, God has set this whole thing, and I really believe this is all orchestrated in motion, that God has literally raised up an entire generation now to, raise, to reap in this harvest of the LBGTIQ+. Because when they come to faith, they're going to be the radical. They're going to be the ones that were the hippies of the 60s that started all these churches in all these congregations. So now we're going to jump in a little bit. So what is happening? Well, we just discovered the pilgrimage road, and we found this about 12 years ago. But this pilgrimage road, I find this interesting. The Jerusalem Post said that the Jerusalem's 2,000-year-old Pilgrims are preparing for modern revival. I don't think they realize how prophetic that is. Now, I want you to understand that we're digging out the biblical pool of Siloam. Now, the Biblical Pool of Siloam, when I first went to Israel in uh, 2001, uh, there, was a, there, was a thing, there was a kind of like a, a trench. They called it a pool, but it was about three feet wide, maybe two and a half feet wide, and about 20 feet long, the, and the tour guy said, this is the Pool of Siloam. And I looked at him and I said, no, it's not. He said, no, 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 the, ark, the I said, listen to me. I've read Alfred Edersheim's type, Times in the Life of Messiah.' it's like 450 pages. And inside of that gives you the the customs of the first century. And in the first century, every Jewish male went to Jerusalem for the three feasts, Passover, Shavuot, or or Pentecost, and for um, tabernacles. And before they went into the temple, you couldn't walk into the temple mount unless you first got mikvahed. You had to actually go through a, a washing and I said to the tour guide, there's no way that 100,000 or 200,000 people were getting in that little pool, because after about the first 100, that'd be as dirty as I don't know what. They'd be dirtier going in than they were. I said, that's not the pool. But now we're digging out the pool. What people don't realize is that this pool that we're digging out, we're now, the, if you look to the right, that's the step road that connects the, the Pool of Saloam to the Temple Mount. And now... We're excavating out, and most people don't. It's an acre and a quarter in size. The, the the spring of Gishon floods that with fresh water. It's clean water. Now, this pool that we're excavating out, I'm going to throw something at you. Remember, I, I said that history tends to start and has repeating; it goes in a cycle. When Peter preached the word, and three thousand Jewish people came to faith, and they're all baptized. I got a feeling it wasn't in a little drinky-dink pool. Because after the first hundred, that pool would be pretty dirty. My thought process is, hey, we got 3,000 souls. Maybe we ought to go down to the Pool of Siloam. Let's just walk down the Pool of Siloam and have a mass baptism. Now, if that's accurate, which I think I got pretty good, you know, I mean, it seems pretty logical to me. Then could we not be excavating out the baptismal site for the nation of Israel in the future. Because how we have birthed the kingdom would be the same way how we would end the kingdom and the fullness of the harvest. And it says in Zechariah twelve ten that they should look upon me whom they pierced. It says upon them all the habits of, of Jerusalem, hey, look, it's Jewish people getting a vision of Yeshua. If you had a vision of Yeshua, how could you not believe? What's going to happen as soon as they come to faith? I think we need to get baptized. Oh my goodness. We're digging out the baptismal site, I think. I think there's something connected to this. Now, now this baptismal site that we're connecting, that the, the Pool of Siloam that we're digging out right now, is connected to the Simchat Torah. You may not have realized this, but the Simchat Torah, this is the place, Simchat Torah is the place of the water drawing. Now if you understand first century, Every Jewish person is going, and the eighth day of Sukkot is the the most joyous festival day of the year. It's a grand climax. I love Sukkot. Sukkot, for eight days, you're commanded to rejoice. That means for eight days every year, I tell my wife, you're not allowed to yell at me. I love that. (laughs) But, But Sukkot, this eighth day, the water drawing, the high priest would take a pitcher and take a water, and he would take it, and then he would quote Isaiah 12. And you, salvation is the word Yeshua. Behold, God is my Yeshua. I will trust and not be afraid, for the Lord God is my strength and my song. He has become my Yeshua. And with joy you shall draw waters from the wells of Yeshua. Now, that's what is quoted. And there's a whole processional going up. Everyone's doing a mikvah that pulls slum. Everyone's now walking up to the Temple Mount. When they get to the top of the Temple Mount, they quote Psalm 118, verse 25. It's the same verse that was used by Yeshua's triumphal entry. The word save now is the word hoshiana in Hebrew, it's hosanna in English. Hoshiana, save now, I beseech you, Lord, I beseech you, send down prosperity. The word send down prosperity really should be translated, grant me success. And if you understand the context of this passage, I specifically put verse 26 there because as blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord is the next verse. This is the exact context that, that Yeshua quotes in Matthew 23, when he says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you're not going to see me again until you say, Baruch Baba Shema Adonai. And the irony is that when the war takes place, the very first thing that happens before they go into Gaza, they're literally quoting Psalm 118, verse 25. Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. Meaning they're one verse away from the kingdom. And I want you to think about it. They're one verse away from the kingdom of God. And when this happens, and when, they, when they're on the Temple Mount and they, they quote Psalm 118.25, you have to understand that on the Temple Mount at the time of Yeshua was probably at least 50,000, if not 100,000. We don't know how many people there were. Tens of thousands of people on the Temple Mount. And when they quote Psalm 118.25, you are, you are commanded to be quiet. You're, you're commanded to pause and think and reflect on the goodness of God. And what, what does the scripture tell us? On the last day of the feast, on Simchat Torah, 2,000 years before this war begins, on this same day, if anyone believes in me, anyone thirsts, then come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart shall flow rivers of living water. The same day the war breaks out is connected to this passage here. Connected to what? The outpouring of God's spirit. Remember what it says in, in the next verse? It says, they, he said this about the spirits, that this was connected. Now, the war breaks out. We're digging out the pool of saloon. All these things are getting connected together. The next day that, that happens that night is there's the big candelabras lit up. And all of Jerusalem is lit up like a city on a hill. And that next day, they would have quoted this passage um, or the they, they woman's called an adultery. And when, when the woman's caught an adultery, Yeshua uses the illustration that happened the night before. All of Israel lit up. And he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. And I love this particular passage because if you notice this passage, Yeshua does not look at the adulterer as an adulterer. She looked at her as a woman that was caught in the sin and said, Look, stop sinning. Follow me. I'm the light of the world. We have to get looking past the tattoos and the nose rings and the crazy earrings and look at them as Yeshua looks at people and says, that's not a tattooed person, that's a soul that God is trying to reach. Amen. And he's placed me in their life today. And we have to start getting a different understanding of the kingdom. We have to start realizing that God's brought us to this kingdom for such times as this. Now I want to get, conclude with this. That, that same passage, the only place that the Pool of Siloam is mentioned is in the Gospel of John 9, the very next chapter. In John 9, it's something interesting because here's the blind man. I look at this and I think to myself, is this a picture of the Jewish people blinded? They got all kinds of mud in their eyes. They can't see. With the Pool of Siloam, God's going to say, your eyes are opened. But in the same passage, when they're talking about the Pool of Siloam, as we're digging out the Pool of Siloam, I believe it's giving us a countdown. Because he literally says in this passage, "We must work the works of Him who, who works of Him who sent me while as day, because night is coming when no man can work." Meaning that we're the time that we have isn't as much time as we think we have. Our countdown is closing down. Our window is closing down to fi- fi- fulfilling our our, prop, our our calling. Behold, I'm making all things new. Is what the Lord says. It's connected to the millennium? After it's talking about the time after time, it's talking about this concept. And look, he says it's already done. I'm the Alpha and Omega. It's already done. Prophecy is already finished. It's already done. But in this passage, he says something interesting to me. He says to the thirsty, to the thirsty. I think too much of, too many of us are going ahead and we're grabbing a cup of water and saying, well, we're content with our water. And if you're content, are you getting any more water? But if we go ahead and say, I, man, that was great. I'm thirsty. Give me another glass oh man, that was great, can I get, forget it, don't give me, just turn on the spigot, would you please? I think that's the way we have to start approaching God now. Isn't saying, look, I like a glass of water, I like a glass of, I think we gotta say, Lord, would you please just turn on the spigot? Because we're called to have rivers of living life flowing through us. And I think too often we allow dams of bitterness, resentment, unforgiveness, every kind of thing the enemy is trying to throw in our lives to try to to distract us, try to dam us up. Today's the day to say, I'm breaking all that stuff down. I'm coming to the cross, and I'm coming to the Lord. I'm saying, Lord, would you go ahead and deal with this stuff? I because I want the rivers flowing through me. I am not, I need more and more. I don't, I just turn on the spigot. And if you walk with that spigot, guess what? You'll be conquering, and you'll have this heritage, and, you will be, and he will be your God, and you'll be his son. I'll close out with this passage here. Arise and shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord will rise rise over you, as risen over you. Behold, darkness shall cover the earth and deep darkness of people. That's the age we're in. It has to be so dark that it's very easy to see the glory of the Lord. And it says, He promises us, that the glory will rise upon you and his glory will be seen upon you. Why? So that nations come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. In this same passage, I want you to realize the Hamas shall no longer be heard in Israel. That's a prophetic word nor devastation or destruction within your borders. But now what you you shall call your defense, what shall you call your walls? Yeshua. Yeshua is our defense. And when Yeshua is your gate and your door and your opening and are closing, guess what? You're going to start shouting out hallelujah. So Abba, Father, I ask you, Lord, you would seal this word. I ask you, Father, that you would just empower this congregation just to get a fresh vision of what you have for them. I ask you, Father, that this would be a congregation so thirsty, that they would just cry out, just turn on the spigot. And Father, I ask you, Lord, that the outpouring of your spirit would just move in such a mighty way. May they, may they start getting an understanding of what they've called to do. They've called for the harvest of the world. B'shem Yeshua HaMashiach. Amen and amen. You've been listening to the Shabbat message
0: from Rosh Pinah Messianic Jewish Congregation in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. We would love to have you visit us. Our weekly services begin at 10:40 a.m. each Shabbat, and we are located at 2600 Northwest 55th Place, north of Northwest Expressway at the corner of Northland Avenue and Northwest 55th Place. We meet each Shabbat for wonderful praise and worship with dance, liturgy, teaching, food, fellowship, excellent children's programs, and Bible studies on Tuesday nights. For more information, please visit our website www.roshpina.org. That's R-O-S-H-P-I-N-A-H dot O-R-G. You can also reach us by phone at 405-842-1967 or email us at info at roshpinah Thank you for spending time in the Word with us today. Shabbat Shalom and blessings in Messiah Yeshua.